welcome to Conversations About Life. Gabe, I'm very happy to enjoy this conversation with you, so thanks for being a part of it, and I guess I'll try to introduce you, but how are you doing? Doing good. It's a good day. Beautiful out. It is. It's kind of cold. <laughs> yes, yes. I've been trying to, well, throughout the late summer, I started, um, and f- fall, I've been getting up early and getting outside before uh, the sun comes up, and it's just kind of sitting out there, and I have a little keychain flashlight, and I do my journaling and stuff, but this morning was the first morning that I thought, I'm just going to sit right here inside because it's it's below freezing. Yeah, it was kind of <laughs> brutal. It was like, a little wind blowing and everything, so... Yeah, it's yeah. the first morning that we had to actually like bundle up, kind of yeah. take mine before you step outside. Yeah. So yeah, you're reminded pretty quickly this time of year. Yeah. Like that first little gust hits you, you're like, whoa. Yeah. It's coming. Yeah. So as far as introducing you, I just uh, know you as a friend that I enjoy chatting with. So how would you introduce yourself? Um. Yeah, I'm a friend. Um, just, uh, in general, um, just a human like the rest of us. Uh, I work in the healthcare field. Okay. I'm into holistic health and wellness and fitness and, of course, all things uh, philosophical and spiritual, psychological. I'm into all those, you know, deep topics of the universe And that's where we really touch base, both having, you know, backgrounds and even current standing and just ministering to humans. So I think we kind of really have the same heartbeat as far as that goes. And has that been for you a long time? I mean, I know you used to be religious, so that's related Mm -hmm. to like thinking about things like that, the big questions of life. So is that just kind of... A part of your nature, just you know, pondering these things and working through them and so forth. It is, and it's all part of my like conditioning. I grew up in a religious family, you know. Oh, um, did my, you? Yeah, uh, grandpas on both sides um, were very, you know, deep into Christianity and were ministers wherever their feet were. They were ministering to people, you know, in their words and in their deeds. And, you know, that kind of just trickles down. You go to church growing up, you know. and What kind uh, of church was it? Um, Mostly Baptist. I would go with my dad's dad. Um, like a missionary Baptist, Southern Baptist type, you know, quiet prayer. Lots of heavy emphasis on scripture, uh, scripture memorization, things like that. So, so we had these like flashcards and it was fun, you know, growing up. You know, my grandparents would uh, go through them with us, and they kind of, like, illustrated biblical stories, and then we would have to, like, say what the story was. So, yeah, um, a lot of that stuff. So those those types of stories and those, you know, types of beliefs and values were, like, deeply ingrained in me just through, throughout childhood, you know. And so Missionary Baptist, that reminds me of, like— a- Kind of a country, small country yeah. type of church. Is that kind of what it was? Yeah, like? wooden pews, okay. <laughs> old hymns, right? Old rugged cross. 
yeah. you know, things like that. So, yeah. Um, and then what about your immediate family, like yeah. your, your parents? What was... Well, as a byproduct, you know, on my mom's side, it was more like Assemblies of God. Okay. Um, again, on my dad's side, Missionary Baptist, so... Um, but were they yeah, religious, they, too? So um, not really as much as my grandparents, okay. um, but we did attend church. Um, it was more, you know, not that they weren't at their core, but it wasn't as heavily emphasized as maybe it was with my grandparents. So, yeah. you know, the values were there, but at the same time, they were a little bit more liberal with, you know, not you know, having to go to church every Sunday as if it was like this specific routine. Um, you know, we, of course, would go on Eastern holidays and stuff, and they would go periodically, but it just wasn't as rigid as far as that would go. So most of my, like, um, childhood church and religious experiences, again, I tie to my grandparents. Okay. And, and then did you go through, like, you know, when I grew up, I grew up in church too, mm-hmm. and then I guess I was around nine or so, and then I went mm-hmm. through like trying to do whatever it was I was supposed to do to be saved, mm-hmm. you know, quote unquote saved. Right. Um, so I responded to the altar call, then I got baptized, right. I would pray the sinner's prayer, you know, like, uh, and just try to do that sincerely enough and and hope that... Shazam, something would happen, you know, and it was it was a frustrating time in my life because I felt like I was missing out on something other people were talking about. Yeah. And so did you have anything like that going on when you were growing up? Throughout childhood, I just kind of took it as a given, okay. you know. Again, without it being like heavily emphasized in my household, you know, it was just kind of like something that was there. Mm-hmm. Um, it really wasn't like strongly emphasized that I had to have this certain experience. So I always had it in my mind that if I were to like have this like devout walk, it would be something perhaps I would do later down the road, you know? Um, And I say that to say like my grandpa, again, my dad's dad, his name was Emmett. um, He would always share his conversion experience with us. He was Mm -hmm. 32 years old, you know, I was a heathen, you know, I, you know, ran around fighting and so forth. And that experience resonated with me because he, you know, expressed it from like an East to West perspective. I was all the way over here. And then when I got saved, I was all the way over here. My nature changed, so forth. So I was like, maybe I'll try that when I get older, you know, maybe when I get my thirties. So, you know, throughout childhood and then my teenage years, even early adulthood, um, I had it kind of in the back of my mind that this was something that was going to happen at some point in time. But again, way later, I'm going to, I'm going to try this out. Maybe when I get my thirties, maybe I can, you know, be like him. What happened though, is when I got to like my early to mid twenties, I got to this like crossroads and I ended up having my own experience. This actually happened in a Pentecostal church uh, because even though, like, growing up, I went with my grandparents um, to the Baptist churches, when I would spend the night with different friends, I would go to their churches. This opened up all these different questions. Why all these denominations? Why all these beliefs? You know, if it's one religion under a big umbrella, why all of these, you know, different groups? And they 
worship different ways. They have these different beliefs, you know, and I, you know, just all these lingering questions. So I had one friend and I would go to the Catholic church when I would spend the night and we'd wake up as folks were like, we got to go to church on Sunday. So if you stayed in there on Saturday, going to church, I had another friend whose parents were Lutheran. So when we would stay the night, wake up and go to Lutheran church, which was a lot like the Catholic. I'm like, this is a lot like the Catholic church. Um, and then yet another friend, when I would stay the night with him, it was the Pentecostal church. Now, this is a completely different experience. I had never been open to, you know, such liberated, uh, boisterous worship. You know, the music was, was like a rock concert, you know, people raising their yeah. hands, speaking in tongues. I was like, whoa, now this is heavy, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. But there was something about that, that even though it was very radical to me and like, I was like, this is weird, you know? It resonated with me because the people were so devout, and it seemed like their experience was deeper in some ways. Mm-hmm. You know, so those particular friends, that group of friends, they all went and had their own experience um, in the early 2000s. And now this was a group of friends I was like really close with. So when it came time for me to be at my crossroads, I was like, hey, you guys had this experience a couple of years ago. It looked like it really made a difference in your life. Like, I might want to try that, you know? My grandpa always told me growing up about, you know, his conversion experience. I want to have a, an experience of my own. Maybe this is what I'm missing in my life, you know? So I went to church as I had went with them before, and I had my own experience. I was like, I'm going to open myself up to this and just see where it goes, you know? So I had never been baptized. So I had this experience, um, answered the altar call. And it was interesting because the sermon that evening was about, you know, you can't be holding on to one thing and reaching for another. If you're wanting to move in a direction, at some point in time, you got to let go, you know? And so the minister illustrated, he was reaching one direction, grabbing on another. And he's like, you know, you, you you just can't go in this direction if you keep on grasping. So he let go and he continued to reach in that direction. It really spoke to me because that's kind of the crossroads I was at. So it was a really timely word. So you can't hold on to what? Just kind of like being double-minded. You okay, know, you, you can't hold on to the things of the world and be okay. reaching for God. That was kind okay. of his illustration. So he was like, you right. know, you, you're going to get pulled in two. Okay. And so that's kind of where I was at. So it really spoke to me that evening. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to answer that altar call. I'm going to go up there and I'm going to pray and I'm going to open my heart, yeah. you know? And so I did and I got baptized and it was a deep experience, you know? I was like, all right, I'm going to double down and I'm going to go for this, you know? Contacted my friends the next day and I'm like, hey, you know, we're still friends, but I'm not going to be coming around doing the same things that I used to do. I'm not going to be drinking anymore and smoking and all that kind of stuff. I want to straighten my life up and, you know, see where this whole experience can take me. So... That was in 2004. It was in June of 2004. And yeah, I uh, I was in that particular movement for four years. So the Pentecostal right. movement. So when I finally had like what seems to me like an encounter with God, it was later. I was 18. And I was at, I guess you'd say it like at a real low spot, the end of my rope, so to speak. And just felt morally disgusting. And I wasn't even thinking in religious terms so much like I need to be saved or, or something like I just thought, man, I need 
God to save me because I can't just I'm um, I've become someone that um, you know I don't like and I can't change myself and stuff like and then it um, and then it, all I remember so much is just you know asking God to save me yeah. and then um, experiencing like guilt being lifted from me and just feeling as light as a feather and it's like after that the whole everything opened up to me like then the bible started to get interesting to me and the things of christianity like going to church and and um whatever christian music you know just stuff mm-hmm. like that yeah. so um for you when you came to the crossroads was like did sin have was that a significant part like um what am I going to do about sin? Or was it more of like um, self-improvement, like I'm just wanting to transition to something better or a little bit of both, or what do you think? Yeah, yeah, it was a combination of things. It was a general discomfort with where I was in my inner state, you know? Mm -hmm. I was just unhappy. Um, I was unfulfilled in my relationships. I felt really alone. I felt you know, this massive potential, but this lack of success, you know? And so I had always been pointed in that direction. So that was part of my social conditioning was at the end of the day, like you have to give your life to God. So I was already kind of preconditioned for this is what's going to kind of solve your problems. You know, you have to at some point in time yield to this and this will you know help you reach what you're trying to reach what you essentially cannot reach alone and so i was yeah i was i was broken and i just um i needed direction and i had been doing things a certain way for so long i was at that point where i was quite ready to try something different right Okay, so that started, and you had like a four-year stint with that. Yes. And it was a pretty powerful experience yeah. going yeah. into it. And then what um, what was going on at your next transition, like at the end of the four-year period? Yeah, so as you know, those four years moved along, there was a lot of growth. Um I started really looking into things for myself for the first time. You know, I had always kind of taken people's words and I had done some exploration into just religion and spirituality at large, but I had never really delved in. I had never even given my own faith a good look or or even stepped into it experientially. So this was the first time I really like dove into the system, Mm -hmm. you know, and so as I dove into the system, all these questions that I had had before, why all the denominations, you know, the scripture, all these different interpretations, you know, what do I believe and why do I believe it? You know, so I, on the experiential end, I really opened myself up to the spiritual aspects, you know, let me experience all I can experience about it, mm-hmm. whether I'm worshiping loudly or quietly or however I'm doing it, I'm going to open up to the worship. Well, if I'm opening up to the worship, I'm also going to open up to all of the philosophical and psychological factors of it as well, which means I'm going to do a lot of studying. I'm a person that loves to look into stuff. And if I'm going to look into it, I'm going to look into it at every possible angle, you know, 
I'm not just going to agree to agree. I'm going to look and I'm going to see for myself and I'm going to get a firm understanding. So I, you know, she did a lot of reading began to really look into the Bible. Okay. I began to then like just dive into all these related within the faith, all of these related debates and questions and Mm -hmm. all of these topics. So I started getting a lot of extra biblical literature, you know, if it, was a topic, say, you know, eschatology, which is, you know, talks about the last days. I'd get three, four different books that would come from three or four different perspectives. And, and you know, I would usually agree with some things about all of them, right. you know? Yeah. And so I would do that with everything. Everything. So <laughs> during this time, what were some of the big splashes as far as books that you yeah. can still think of that really kind of hit your life hard when you, you know, made a big impression on you? Um, like books in particular? Yeah. Um, early on, I really, like the first couple years, it was a lot of, I really dove into like Pentecostalism. So I, I kind of like fast forwarded when I was just speaking, like, you know, I, I kind of covered that whole four years, but that first year or two, I really invested in Pentecostalism. So I was diving into books about the oneness of God, you know, as opposed to the Trinity. So there was okay, a book called right. The Oneness of God by this guy named David Bernard. That was one, you know, early on that I was like, I want to understand like when they say this, like what do they mean? Because everybody believes God is one. All of these right. Christians believe that God is one God, but when they say that, they mean different things by that. And how does that play out in the philosophy? That was one. There were books about spiritual gifts, you know, that I really dove into because I wanted to see like what all these eccentric beliefs are about, you know, and then I went into the history of the Pentecostal movement, you know, like where, where did it begin? And, and, and why did this group, you know, come up uh, when it came up and come to prominence and, you know, um, so just trying to kind of weed through those things at that point in time was really important for me. That was like the first two years. So 2004 to 2006, Around like 2006, 2007, though, I, I have this transition where I start to like delve into these other points of view. Because the more I study the scripture, the more that my old conditioning starts coming up. And I'm like, hmm, I was always kind of taught that this actually meant this and not that, you know? So because Baptists interpret things differently, because Catholics interpret, and this is why we have all these groups what does this mean within the context of the scripture? So I then started looking more into um, prominent Protestant teachers like John MacArthur and R.C. Sproul, Mm -hmm. and I started, and uh, Alistair Begg, and I started getting a broader understanding of Christianity. Hmm. Um, Lee Strobel, of course, and then from Lee Strobel, who, you know, of course, wrote The Case for Christ and The Case for Faith, I started getting into into like the more philosophical teachers, Ravi Zacharias, William Lane Craig, J.P. Moreland, you know, oh, wow. all of these like really deep thinkers, mm-hmm. like in extremely intelligent guys. So I started kind of like getting into more of that um, 
year three and four and then beyond, which eventually led me out of the Pentecostal movement because I was like, hmm, they have some very interesting insights. However, some of their conclusions I simply don't agree with and in such a way that I need to like step away from this movement because I don't feel like it represents Christianity as the Bible teaches in a way that is the most authentic version. You know, when I look and I see like what it might have been in the first century, some of these interpretations, they hit home. Some of them, maybe not as much. So I started to really like resonate more with the Trinitarian view. Mm -hmm. Um, I started to resonate more with uh, just the general Protestant view of salvation, you know, okay. um, yeah. because Pentecostals believe you have to be baptized in water to be saved. Okay, You have to speak in tongues yeah. as evidence of receiving the Holy Ghost or mm -hmm. the Holy Spirit. Some people are, um, you know, extreme enough to where they don't even like the use of the word spirit. They like to use Holy Ghost. So people like right. to argue about everything. And <laughs> you have certain teachers that are so rigid that they're like, no, it's Holy Ghost, not Holy Spirit. And then they try and go and prove it from the old Greek and people try and use, you know, uh, the linguistics uh, to argue their point. And it just ends up being kind of ridiculous because the two words actually mean the same thing. They mean a breath, you know, hmm. spirit, ghost, they're, synony yeah. they're synonyms. So it's, you know, it, it, it ends up being kind of ridiculous. Um, but yeah, I was like, yeah, I was like, when I read the scripture and they say scripture interprets scripture, you know, I was like, I don't really gather that these things are necessary and it ends up being a little bit too works-based. Hmm. So that's, where it really started to kind of rub me wrong is that it was really based on works. You know, there was a lot of perfectionism being taught, you know, and, uh, you know, with the, the women having to have long hair, if you cut your hair, it's a sin. And I'm like, I really don't gather that, you know, you have mm -hmm. to wear skirts and all these, you have to have to have to. And it's like, this is laborious, you know, and it ended up being kind of like psychologically traumatizing and, you know, oppressive to the women. Mm -hmm. And I began kind of looking at that and being like, this is not only something I disagree with, I think it's wrong. You know, yeah. like it's not right to treat humans this way, you know? And so right. I it really, and so I had, I did it the right way. I went and I had a conversation with my pastor who I was good friends with. And I was like, Hey, the, these are the reasons why I'm leaving. Mm -hmm. These are where my disagreements lie. And, yeah. uh, you know, I, I'm moving my separate way. Right. Um, and so from there, it was kind of like this journey to find a new place, you know? Right. You spend four years, you have a lot of friendships. It's like family. It was a deep experience, you know? I yeah. went to Africa oh, in 2006. Yeah. It was wow. amazing, you know? It was a different world. We went into the bush. We ministered to the Maasai tribe. We hmm. played soccer with them. It started raining. It was very deep. Right. It was amazing. You know, yeah. Mount Kilimanjaro was right there, like... It was amazing, hmm. um, and and so many amazing experiences. But at the end of the day, you have to like, you have to choose to honor yourself and honor where, you know, you believe that God is leading you. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that um, kind of led to a journey of like, okay, where to go now? Mm -hmm. Tried out a few churches, and then uh, ended up resting in Victory in Pevely. So it was just like oh, a non on Highway Z. 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Non-denominational church. Right. A little bit more laid back. I was like, all right, this is the speed, mm-hmm. you know. And they were eccentric in their worship, not as eccentric, but a little bit more like based on just like community service, you know, mm-hmm. laid back sermons. They're not trying to beat you over the head with hellfire and brimstone, um, but all about like you know growth, kind of almost like a self-help like hmm. angle on things, you know, mm-hmm. but being scriptural about it. Like mm-hmm. they were very committed to biblical principles, but also in a way that was easily digestible and very practical, you know, okay. um, very kind, warm people, mm-hmm. you know, all of these people that I can go back to at any intersection were, were kind, warm people. Yeah. You know, it was no affront to them that, you know, your journey takes you where it takes you. You just have to honor what you're learning and what you, you know, the way you perceive the world, mm-hmm. you know. So went there, was there for, let's see, so if it was 2006, there for about a year. Okay. And it was a good experience. Um, yeah. At every intersection, I was like part of leadership and okay. I was like preaching and stuff because given my background, like I grew really quick. Like once I dove into Christianity, I grew like wildfire. Like these people are like, oh, you're a new Christian. You're growing so fast. I'm like, well, I've kind of been involved in this my whole life. I just never committed to it, you know? Right. So all these scriptures I have memorized, like, you know, I, I, I was, uh, you know, had been a talker. I had done public speaking before. So it's not nothing for me to have a captive audience and talk to them. <laughs> yeah. uh, that wasn't a problem. Um, you know, and the walk was difficult because you're having to like, learn a different way of being. And then you have to like try and weed through my dishonoring myself by being this rigid, you know? So you're, you're gathering all these boundaries and you're like, is this even necessary for me to live this tightly? You know, I just felt so unnatural to me, Hmm. you know? Uh, So you have to like navigate like what is like unnatural and what is like, you know, beneficial to a healthy life, Yeah, you know? And that, that, that's difficult, you know? Hmm. Um, But yeah, was at Victory, enjoyed them, was part of youth leadership, um, and then went to a place called New Perfect Peace Missionary Baptist Church in hmm. North St. Louis. Oh, wow. So all these places I, I ended up uh, going to because I had friends. Uh, back in like late 2004, after I had started with uh, a Solid Rock, the Pentecostal movement, I met this guy named Tim Logan, and we formed a rap duo. So I was always into music, and he was a Christian rapper. And so we met one night. We ended up finding out that we had the same birthday, (laughs) which was really cool, November 14th. He's Mm -hmm. a year younger than me. Um, And we both like to rap. And so we're like, hey, let's start writing music together. You know, we formed a group and, like, you know, released a couple projects, you know. Mm -hmm. And we grew over time, and we did a lot of concerts. Mm -hmm. Uh, We ministered a lot in North St. Louis. Mm -hmm. So we gained a lot of friends. Um, that's actually, side note, how I ended up meeting the people at Victory, because we ended up going there for a concert. Okay. Um, but yeah, had some friends, tried their church out, uh, New Perfect Peace, and just loved it. Hmm. Um, unlike the other two, which were, again, very committed to biblical principles, they were committed to the teaching, this place was closer to my heartbeat in that it was a missionary Baptist church. Mm-hmm. I was used to that form of preaching and that way of looking at things. And some individuals who were very deep. And we would have we would sit after church and have like these hour hour and a half long discussions about 
the universe, you know, just the deep things. Mm -hmm. And they were into reading not only the Bible, but extra biblical literature and just, you know, we would just pick each other's brains and it was wonderful. It was right down my alley. Hmm. You know, the pastor would join in with us and I'm just like, this is where it's at. And it was in the middle of North St. Louis in the streets. Like, I'm like, this is where Jesus would be. You know, this is the ministry right here. So yeah. And that place like led me to where my next intersection would be, but it was that was really important. I actually taught uh, a course on theology. Hmm. Um, yeah, when I was there, I think what was it? Was it salvation or was it justification? No, it's slipping my mind. But we broke it into sections, and hmm. each of us would, you know, um, would teach on a particular topic. And so I got to kind of sharpen my teaching blade there as well. Yeah. That was good. Yeah. And ministered there. And the the worship was eccentric, you know. Um, so, you know, Christian churches, unfortunately, tend to be segregated. Yeah. So was this like a black or a oh, yeah. black I was the, I was the only white boy there. <laughs> the yeah. only. Yes. Yes. And they, uh, they treated me like family. Um, I was, again, part of leadership. I would walk in the church and if I would arrive and try and sit anywhere but up with the leaders they would wave me up and say no 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 you sit up here and uh it, it was it was humbling um they were just outstanding mm-hmm. um I didn't feel like the only white person there yeah you know it was that none of that existed um but yeah it, it it was if you ever if you ever been to a church on the north side, they know how to worship. Yeah. So yeah, hands were raised. It wasn't like a normal missionary Baptist church. So that was really really wonderful to me because sometimes those places can be a little bit dry. You mm-hmm. know, um, the worship was wonderful, singing was wonderful, and then again, like the way that they dove into the Bible and the preaching. You know, um, yeah, they got in your business a little bit. You know, hmm, hey right. man, like hey, let's let's. Let's be upright. Let's not be the kind of people who, you know, are thinking we're better than other humans. You know, they very humble, beautiful, beautiful hmm. humans. And again, you know, people I love to this day, um, whether I've seen them, you know, in five, ten years or not, you know, they still have a special place in my heart. So, yeah, that was great. Hmm. But the insight that I gained from there and I continued to like, you know, just study the world. And, you know, all these different philosophies, I started thinking, like, do I even really believe this anymore? You know? Um, so that's where my my whole view on God and the universe just continued to evolve. And, and still does to this day. But I had started going to college again, started really opening my mind to, like, different ways of looking at the world, um, whether it was religiously or politically or anything like that. Um, I got a job in healthcare. And so that really opened me up to a lot of like, you know, situations and questions about life and death. I watched a lot of people die. You know, I ministered to a lot of people. Um, I prayed over people um, while they were dying. Um, There was a particular time when the chaplain wasn't present and they called me and were like, hey, you're a minister. Can you come pray with this person? You know? Yeah. And so that was an honor, you know, a touching experience. And and so, 
Yeah, a lot of these things that I experienced, like, uh, they just led me to the next step. It was everything I was experiencing in life. It was all these deep questions that I'm like, have I really explored this? Like, have I really been honest with myself? Because I really have these questions. Am I scared to, like, see where the answer might lead me or, or, you know, to really deeply explore these things? And as I continued through the literature, I started finding different philosophers across the board whether they were pantheists or universalists or atheists. And I started saying, all right, let me see what they have to say. Because every time I look at literature, I at least agree with something that these people have to say, even if it's one sentence out of the whole book, you know, like, so I started looking deeper into it. And I, uh, yeah, I chose to step away from religion altogether. Now, at that point in time, I had, uh, you know, personal things that were going on as well that were kind of like taking me through this like storm in my life. But as far as faith, that was kind of a transition. And I kind of stepped away from spirituality for a minute there. And uh, yeah, I I started living like what I guess I would consider a deep, a deeply rational life. You know, mm-hmm. I got really like intrigued by rash, hyper rationalism, you know, and science and things like that, mm-hmm. which is wonderful. Those things provide a, you know, a, uh, a great compass for how to navigate the world. But I kind of threw out the baby with the bathwater for a little bit there. And uh, after I'd spent my, you know, what, eight years in ministry and with religion, I took kind of like a two-year hiatus from spirituality altogether. That doesn't mean that a lot of the principles weren't still with me, you mm-hmm. know, and that I, like, stopped being a deep spiritual human altogether, but I kind of put those things on pause, mm-hmm. you know? So this two-year period, how long ago was that? That was from 2011 to 2013. Okay. Yep. So almost 10 years ago. Right. Yep. So you mentioned like a storm was going on when yeah. you stepped away from yes. religion. So, you know, I just wonder... um how much, like how that was connected? Like, did you feel God wasn't there for you during the storm? Like you would have expected him to? Was that part of like what caused you to reconsider your beliefs and things like that? Well, I think just like my concept of God altogether was changing. Mm -hmm. So it was like, do I even believe in this like personal creator God? And how can I expect something to be there that I'm not sure that I even believe in, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, we have these expectations because of the stories that we tell ourselves, and that's just across the board. That's humanity, you know. So our expectations are built, and if our expectations aren't met, then we have to figure out answers to these lingering questions that we have. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're coming from a monotheistic background, well, God has a prerogative, and God's prerogative might not be to act in the way that you see fit, and that's God's prerogative, and you have to accept God's will. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't as much of like, oh, I don't know, like thinking God wasn't there for me. It was wondering if God was there at all, like right. if there was even a God, you know, because right. I had to be honest with myself. I'm like, do the atheists, are they onto something or not? So right. I really stepped back and was like, all right, if I didn't have all this literature, how would I see the world, you know? Um, and and so I had to like take an honest look and just kind of like strip all my preconceived thoughts away, everything, you know, because everybody has this conditioning that we don't determine, it's just given to us, you know, 
a lot of times if someone grows up atheist, they end up being atheist and they don't question that. So it doesn't matter what side of the fence you're on. People are conditioned. Buddhists end up kind of continuing in that path, Christians and so forth. And it's difficult to like have a radical change and nobody's obligated to do so. Mm-hmm. But I am the kind of person I'm like, why do I believe this? Right. <laughs> and why is it right? Why do I think it's right? Am I just right. going to continue with my confirmation bias and just like convince myself that I'm right? Or am I going to look at all of these different available beliefs and see what they have to offer and then wipe all of it away and step outside and look for myself and see what the universe or God speaks to me? Like, if right. I didn't have all this literature and any of these preconceived thoughts and I just stepped outside, what would I believe? And I believe we'd all come to different conclusions. That's what we see in the world. But where do I lie? So those, I was asking myself those questions, and I really was just tired of laboring. You know, I felt like I had tried so hard right. when I was, you know, a minister of religion, and I just felt like it was, it became an albatross around my neck. I had become a person I didn't really like. So it kind of came full circle. I came to it because I was a person I didn't like. At some point along my journey, I had found a deep sense of meaning and purpose and joy. But along with that, I had found a lot of obligation, a lot of legalism, you know, a lot of things. And then I started becoming this rigid person that I did not like. I was not carefree like I had used to be, you know? And then what had happened is I like dropped a lot of my boundaries, you know, and my ethics. And I kind of started living too loosely. (laughs) So I went from one extreme to the next and it was just, it's a balancing act, right? So I, I, 2011 to 2013, you know, just, uh, yeah, yeah. I just on this, journey of exploration and I became too loose. <laughs> and was that when you were still in religion or after no. religion? Yeah, yeah, okay. after. Well, and, and I was in the healthcare field mm-hmm. and you know had uh you know my daughter was just born. Mm-hmm. And she was born in 2010, uh October of 2010 and just, you know, trying to raise her. Yeah. And just trying to figure things out and you know, um figuring out what my calling was in life on a broader scale and not trying to like, again, labor so deeply, but just trying to live organically. So, but at the same time, dropping a lot of those tightly wound boundaries um, to the extent that again, I became too loose and I kind of like just started living this hedonistic feel good life, you know, pleasure. What makes me feel good? I'm going to do it. (laughs) And then just not as much thinking of like a strong sense of ethics, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, just kind of stopped caring in a lot of ways. And and, and it had its benefits, but then it also had its detriments, Right. you know? So, you know, we've talked about this before and I've thought about it. um, So I'm just going to run some, a couple things past you. Mm -hmm. Like you've talked about Mm -hmm. like, what if you were just to drop everything you've been told or have read right. and just kind of looked out at creation and right. says, what would I think? Well, you know, I've thought about creation and I've really enjoyed creation this year more than ever before, I think. 
it has like a, a timeless feeling to it because, you know, you're, we're in the hustle and bustle of thinking and doing, and then you step into the woods and you just sit there and it's you just the breeze and like the wood, it don't care. It don't care about everything going on in the world. It could all um, go away and it would still continue, the mountains, the streams, the trees and stuff. Yeah. And I thought, this is beautiful and it has a certain emotional feeling, but I also thought, it just could care less about me. Like if I were to um, just kind of fall and break my neck and I'm just laying there in the midst of all that beauty, it would just let me die. The stars would still be amazing. The clouds would still drift by, yeah. but it would care less about, it's like impersonal. So you think there's a, there's a the sort of indifference there? Yeah. Yeah. And, and it kind of makes, I don't know why I would think any differently because it just kind of makes, it fits with, kind of how I currently see the world. <clears throat> um, but um, what a, so it kind of makes sense that even though Scripture says the heavens declare the glory of God, that the creation itself don't care. And if I just look at creation, I'm not going to see something personal there. Yeah. But uh, there's a couple of, for me, evidences of the personal Mm-hmm. And it, one would be my conversion experience. In others, you know, it seems like lives r- really are changed, and it does seem like um, a person can go from addiction, darkness, whatever, yeah. to like light and forgiveness and joy and so forth. Yeah. And then there's also like just the historical aspect um, of. Um, well, it's a historical claim, Jesus and his death and resurrection. Right. Like there is a historical claim to it, not that um, we can observe it in a scientific way. It's like witnesses. So basically, it's just right. considering the witnesses. And that would be um, like a, a mark f- toward uh, personal involvement. So anyway, I can kind of see what you're referring to as far as just looking out into creation. Yeah. And um, and personally, there are times where I think, um, you know, I, I I wish there was some kind of a presence that I always experienced, and it's like I don't have to just believe God is with me. It's like I just know I can tell in some way, right? And um, so that's kind of has been disappointing to me at sometimes and just feeling alone. Yeah. But then I've also, and this was just this morning, just thinking about this. I also wonder if it could be partly on my end that the, the problem is there or on the, the church's end. Like, I think it makes sense that um, if there is some kind of like, if we're, uh, like clinging, like Eve, like still looking at that forbidden fruit, still kind of like not fully setting our eyes on God and a heart that's fully given over to Him, that that could hamper our relationship and how we feel and experience the Spirit. So I don't want to just assume it's on that, you know, it's God's problem. It could be on mine too, but those are just some random thoughts there's something else i want to ask you about but i'll just give you a chance yeah. to jump in if you have any thought well, reply or anything i think as you like 
And again, we all have this mechanism of experiencing and thinking. And at the end of the day, it is on us to expand our boundaries. Mm-hmm. You know, that is not anyone else's responsibility. Anyone. Yeah. Um, whether it would be a personal God, whether God is an impersonal force, whether it's our neighbor or mom or dad or, you know, significant other. It's, it's your responsibility. It's my responsibility to... To consider Say, things okay, exactly like and, what is it that I believe about this world? Right. So you're correct in gathering that. And here's the thing: we're somewhat powerless against like the waves of thought and emotion. You can't determine when the waves are going to come. Sometimes the waves come, and I feel good in this, you know. Um, and sometimes they come, and you feel alone in this. And that's perfectly normal. That's all of us. It, it doesn't matter what our background is. Like, that's just a ba- byproduct of the human experience. And that can bring extreme faith. It can bring extreme doubt, both of which are essential for our growth. You know, if we didn't have doubt, our faith wouldn't grow, you know. Um, but if we didn't have faith, reason can only take us so far. Right. You know, so all of these things are essential. People go to extremes. They go to this black and white thinking and they think, oh, doubt is bad. No, doubt is not bad. I have a book called Doubt. And uh, the writer, um, she expresses how doubt actually caused faith to grow and caused human understanding to grow throughout millennia over time because people challenged their beliefs. And that's exactly what we're, that's really the basis of this conversation. And yet, when you get so preoccupied with one thing like doubt, you don't really give faith its due because some people are so deeply rational that they become irrational in throwing faith out. Because faith is important. It's deeply important. More so in everyday life than we realize, probably. Yes. When you don't subscribe to faith, you get to a place where you think it's useless. That's complete nonsense because you have to have some sort of faith about some things just because we don't know everything. Right. When you think that you know everything, that's when you find faith useless. But when you know that you don't know everything, I guarantee you, you know, Socrates, who made the famous statement, you know, about, and I'm going to paraphrase, you know, the, the, the person that really knows something is the one that knows he doesn't know anything, you know? it's I mean, the more you know about the world, the bigger your circle of ignorance becomes, the more that you understand that you really don't know that much because you become more aware of all the philosophies that differ from yours. Right. You know, and that should increase your awareness to understand that faith is just like doubt, an essential component of the whole experience. But to go back to what you were talking about nature, you can say that, yes, nature doesn't care if you slipped and fell. Um, Maybe nature would, though. Maybe whatever God you believe in would say would send a servant to pick you up. How many times have you heard of those great stories? Or maybe it'd be your time to croak. You hit, you fall, you hit your head on the rock, and then, hey. But I will say that the universe is there for us because you just look at the natural phenomenon of oxygen and carbon dioxide. You know, nature is there in this synergistic way that agrees with us. 
you know? Well, we're a part of it. It can we disagree with in. us as, yes, correct. And it can disagree with us as well. You look at natural disasters and, you know, human uh, made pollutions and things of that nature. It kind of works in both directions. Um, phenomenon that you see you know, out in the universe. Um, but I will say that go, you and I both like to go on walks out in nature. Um, you know, go for a walk, take a deep breath, see that it doesn't heal you. There's a healing virtue to those woods, to the trails. I mean, mm-hmm. that shows me that nature is working in our favor, that there is a God, however you want to describe that God, that is there for us in a way that we can define it however we want to define it. But it kind of just is what it is. You know, you and I can only handle so much of one another's drama, so much of one another's trauma. Go out in the middle of the woods and scream. Tell me it isn't healing. You know, the trails can handle your drama. The trees can house your trauma because they're big enough to do so, you know? And so that speaks healing virtue to me in a way that is so basic yet so profound. I think, you know, the way the human brain works, we like to imagine things and some of our imaginations might be on point, but I think over time humans just kind of got extra and started coming up with all these cool stories and adding all these different gods to the mix when God was kind of there all along in the basic everyday life. I think when you go back to the concept that the Hindus, and of course the Hindus, you know, Hinduism is the great absorber. So if there's a cool belief, Hindus are like, hey, you know, I'll attach it. Jesus is cool, yeah. Mm-hmm. Buddha, you're cool too. But I mean, it's the oldest religion. You know, they were onto something. There was something, aside from all the different gods they believe and they have the right to believe what they want, the basic tenet of Atman is Brahman is so deep to me. And Atman, you know, the soul, is Brahman, the divine, the, the, the ultimate reality, you know? And what that essentially means is Atman, the God within, is Brahman, the God beyond. So the God within is the God beyond. So they understood this synergistic oneness that we have with the universe. And it's a pantheistic religion. You know, God is the universe, the universe is God. They saw this, like, this harmony to it all. Um, and that resonates with me. Take all the extra trimmings and the gods that they add to it. But at the core, I that is something that deeply resonates with me. Because I think, just like anything, at the beginning, they were onto something. But then when you start adding the bells and whistles, just like all these religions do, you start adding all these different doctrines and all these bells and whistles because we want to know more than what we know. Then you start making the unknown known because you want to take the mystery out of it. You know, you want to, I, I just, this is, this is my opinion on how religions evolve. You know, we, we get uncomfortable. So we want to go to a place of certainty about things we're not certain about. And then we start adding all these different doctrines that we really maybe aren't so sure about, you know, uh, and then no religions exempt from doing these things. You know, when we get to the, the bare bones and the basics of all of them. Those are the interesting discussions we can have. When you start to get into some of the more, you know, superficial doctrines, um, I think they all get kind of out there and assume things that we don't really know. 
I say that to say this, like when you get to like pantheism versus monotheism, deism, you know, polytheism, atheism, like these are the main questions to be answered. These are the main discussions. And it's hard to know if any of them are true. And that's why it's important for us to have these discussions with understanding and with great care and patience and peace and empathy, you know, because the more we act like we know for certain and I'm right and you're wrong, the more we hinder ourselves from a greater understanding of these things, you know, because there's going to be certain things that you're going to be able to teach me in the course of a conversation, which you already have, that I need to know. And if I harden myself against that, <laughs> I'm hindering my own growth. So, um, so there's a lot of, you know, just thoughts. Yeah. Um, you talked about like, it sounded like something, you said something resonated to you. You know, Atman is Brahman, I think yes. is, if I'm pronouncing it right. Yes. And I've thought about how, um, you know, we're pretty subjective. Um, like I don't really trust myself to be able to sort through all the evidence yeah. and like weigh it all and say, this is like 51% more believable than this, you right. know, and make it objective. Now, certain things seem more like, can seem more reasonable to me, right. but there's so much I don't know and so forth. So I think that um, we're led along subjectively a lot. Um, how much, I'm not for sure, but maybe quite a bit. Yeah. Um, and so I'm just wondering about that for you when you were leaving religion, because like for me, um, so yeah, the the Christian Bible, monotheism, um, you know, God is is like a central tenet. But the main message um, is Jesus crucified, you know, yeah. Jesus dying for our sins and God loving us and bringing us in in that way and us having a, a home for our soul, like his love. So that's super, that resonates with me in like a super way. Personal way. Personal way. So that makes it attractive. So like I'm, though I want to be objective and stuff, when I see things that seem to support that, like that makes me happy. Oh, absolutely. If I see things that um, don't support that, then it's like, well, I got some work to do. I got to figure out what to think about this right. and so forth. But for you... Did that so evidently that was attractive in some way at some point? Yeah. Did that attractiveness change, or um, you know, just the nature, just the whole aspect of God's love and forgiveness and peace with Him and just dealing with sin and just stuff like that? Yeah, I think it was a it was a question of truth. Like, okay, what am I more committed to? Like my tradition or truth like and if truth is not what i believe i want to believe what is actually right yeah this is hard to know it's right. hard because you have to take your bias and say okay bias you're gonna have to at least hush so that i can hear more clearly mm -hmm. that's difficult that's hard because then you find yourself you just expressed it wanting to confirm the things you already know because that's a comfortable yeah. place mm -hmm. and it's quite understandable because we all do it to an extent. Mm -hmm. But how much can we quiet that to be able to hear all of the evidence to get to a place where we can be 
as honest as possible. Mm-hmm. And I got to a place where there were a number of converging realities that really bothered me. Okay. Really bothered me. Like hell, very troublesome. Now, if hell is a real thing, then hey, you know, right. it is what it is. And I have to accept that. I had a hard time subscribing to a system that teaches about a place of eternal damnation for people who don't follow a certain system when there were so many amazing people who were extremely devout to their system. And again, different systems teach different iterations of ways of suffering and misery. So you don't want to find yourself as someone who just picks on one system, you know, at all. Right. Um, whether it's your former system or not, sometimes people can tend to do that, and I think it's unfair. Um, but being someone who grew up in Christianity, I had to figure out what I felt about my system, and I didn't want to just be a person that stayed there because that's where I grew up. Right. So there were a number of things, but I'll just start with that. Okay, does a loving God do this? Is that loving God obligated to do this because of his holy nature? Now, I know all of the pro arguments for it. So it's not like a philosophical problem where I don't understand what the arguments for, you know, Christianity are. Again, I delve deep into this. The best philosophers in the world. You want to talk about, you know, R.C. Sproul and William Lane Craig and J.P. Moreland. It just doesn't get better than those guys on these subjects. Like they had all the write answers about these things. A guy named Greg Boyd, you know, um, these guys explored these things deeply. Um, But when you find yourself hearing all of these, you know, answers that seem satisfying, then you start to say, are these things really satisfying? Like, and there was just this part of me that was like, hmm. Right. Because I would hear counter arguments, you know, um, from people like Christopher Hitchens and Sam Harris, you right. know, and Richard Dawkins, who, you know, and Daniel Dennett, you know, the four horsemen of atheism, you know, and, mm-hmm. and of course they were on the whole other end of the spectrum kind of picking on, uh, you know, religion. Um, but they brought up some interesting points. I'm like, hmm, I'm like, man, I don't like these guys, but they're kind of making sense on this topic, you know? Um, and that doesn't mean you have to agree or disagree with either side on everything but you start to see where people are making sense in different areas and then you have to start to say well how do i feel about this you know at the end of the day how would i feel if you know this weren't true could i live (laughs) you know um but i that was problematic you know well are people then then you go to related questions of you know um, Calvinism versus Arminianism. So if you know about, you know, mm-hmm. predestination against free will, well, are we born sinners and then we are just kind of like doomed to be damned or do we have free will? And to what extent do we have free will? So you come to this like determinism against free will question and all of right. these things, which all play into these 
other related questions because is someone like picked to be saved from the beginning? And that would mean that God's kind of arbitrary about it. So God's choosing people to go to the hell. That's not righteous. Like there's a problem with that. Okay. Well, do people have a chance to choose for themselves? And then if they have a chance to choose for themselves, were they shown satisfactory evidence? Cause I don't think anybody given enough good evidence would make the wrong choice, you know? And so you, you have these people who are, sent to hell simply because they believed in Allah instead of Yahweh. You know, you have people who are damned to hell because they didn't believe in God. They were naturalists or they were Hindus, but they were better people than some of these people who went to heaven because they believed the right thing. And I'm like, oh, this is not good to me. You know, so I had all these... Mm-hmm. Hell was a problem for me, especially right. because hell is eternal. And of course, people have different beliefs about that. All right. Is it annihilationism or is it an eternal hellfire? Are you suffering for eternity or do you just get wiped out and you're just dead and then there's no memory of anything? You're just not existing anymore. Either way, man, that's just an even for the worst people to have an eternal punishment for, you know, a finite crime. Ugh. That, and there's- that, that, that would, that again, that was problematic to me. So hell was problematic to me. Of course, the hiddenness of God was problematic to me. You know, if you know the doctrine right. of the hiddenness of God, why is God so hidden? You know, um, why isn't God more apparent? You know, why did God in biblical times walk with them in the garden? And of course, people would say it was because we sinned. You know, why did God have all these manifestations back in the day? But suddenly nowadays, God just doesn't show up like God seemed to show up back in the day. And, and again, different religions have stories about that and explanations for that, but that was problematic to me, the hiddenness of God, you know? Um, and then again, all these different converging systems. And I just got to a point, and I had this book called uh, Contemporary Perspectives on Religious Epistemology. So okay. epistemology is the branch of philosophy that deals with knowing How do we know things? How do we know that we know things? You know, uh, how do we come to knowledge at all about anything? And it had several chapters. And then in each chapter, the other writers would have a rebuttal. So one guy would lead the way, the atheist would lead the way, and then the monotheist would would, uh, argue with them. And there were several other Wittgensteinian fideism, uh, finite godism, like different belief systems would have a rebuttal to that guy. And then the other guy would lead the dance. And then the other people would rebut that. And all of these were extremely eloquent, well-argued. If you listened to any one of them in isolation, you'd be like, whoa, this guy's right. (laughs) Because it was so well-reasoned, all of them. None of them were poorly reasoned at all. So I came to the conclusion after reading that, I'm like, none of these guys know what they're talking about because they all seem so right. But none of them can really prove beyond a shadow of a doubt. That's the question. Can you prove beyond the shadow of a doubt your system, regardless of how eloquent you are? And then I'm like, well, people believe what they believe because it's what they believe. So there's always going to be an element of faith. There just always is. It doesn't matter if you're an atheist, if you're a monotheist, there's always an element of faith and you just can't argue against that. It just is what it is. You know, people will white knuckle it and, oh, no, faith is useless. Dude, you use faith every day. I'm sorry. (laughs) You just do. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, there were a lot of, uh, you know, contentions I had and I had to, and now it's just a lifelong journey. I, I, I'm comfortable with the fact that there are a lot of things I don't know right. and I just want to continue to, 
you know, learn things and grow on this journey and, you know, understand that it's okay that I don't know it all. I right. used to want to know it all. Oh, that's why I'm learning all this stuff. I want to be right about everything. Right. <laughs> but that just led me to like such a bad place in my personal relationships and in my life. And, you know, um, it's okay not to know it all. And I, I think there's a difference between trying to know it all and just um, believing that you can know true things. Right. Even if they're just very practical. Yes. So I, I think of... Um, there's just it makes sense to me that there's no way to grasp God as far as like somehow to conceive the creator I mean the created to conceive of the creator in their mind but that it doesn't necessarily follow that if he interacted with me that I can't know um, real th- true things about him that um, gives me a way to relate to him. And that's kind of how I think of um, uh, the cross and forgiveness and right. repentance, and you know, some so that things like that. can be revealed, so that you can have a higher sense of understanding, even though you can't fully comprehend them. And the end isn't necessarily understanding, but relationship is yeah. what I think. Yeah. Um. So, you know, and the laboring you mentioned. Was that like the laboring to try to figure it all out? Is that kind of what you're referring to? Um, I think it was just perfectionism. It was this laboring to be somebody that I thought I needed to be um, rather than, okay, there's a balance between like self-improvement and being able to allow yourself to be your imperfect self. Sure. You know, it's like... um, I have long had a problem that when I really care and I really try, I try too hard, you know, and this has just been a lifelong pursuit. Um, And then that's when I went to the other extreme of just not caring. Okay. If I, when I care, I worry too much. When I care, I, I, you know, I do things that are unnatural. I I, I'm too self-aware, you know, I end up being too, you know, uh, rigid and just obsessive. You know, I have OCD, so I, I get, when I when I turn on my awareness, it it goes into overdrive. <laughs> I right. just notice everything, and then I'm just like I try to put my hands on everything, and I just try and control things, and it's just it's an ugly scene. You know, you get hypercritical, you're not as accepting, but then when you go to the other end of the spectrum, you get sloppy and loose, and you know, you're just a mess. So it's like, all right, how do I marry these two ideas? Once again, lifelong pursuit, and I, I'm at the place now where I'm very comfortable. I'm finally at this place where I'm in a better balance with those things. Taking me 42 years, (laughs) but I'm finally at this place where I've found that sweet spot. And that doesn't mean I've arrived, you know, that I'm I'm here and now I'm perfect. I'm actualized. No, no, no. I just, I'm, I'm comfortable being imperfect. And I've found a good balance of like, okay, working on myself, improving, being a balanced, diligent individual, but understanding that I have flaws and I'm okay. And, and and that doesn't mean that some of these flaws that like are really not helpful don't need to be calibrated, but I can calibrate the knob without being obsessive over it. So it's, it, it's a hard thing to do, but it's a day-to-day thing. So I can relate to trying like too hard, like before growing up, you know, I, my trying too hard was probably trying to be accepted by other people. Yeah. And then even as a Christian, I was pro- I've probably been 
you know, that lingered on and stuff. I can see in the atonement, the cross, hope there to escape that because like if God accepts me, then I have a place in the world and I'm accepted by, it don't, you know, he's the ultimate person to be accepted by. So it don't matter what anyone else thinks. You know, right. there is like a hope of freedom there that I ex- have experienced some, but it's still like something I need to grow into. Yeah. But um, so I, and so I wonder about, you know, you went over to hedonism. Um, so what's that like? Like what's, um, you mentioned like some of the disappointments of it and so forth. Yeah. Um, and I guess hedonism isn't necessarily like, well, you're not trying anymore. It's just, you're going in a different direction. You're just trying to do whatever feels good. Huh? Well, it's, it's, it, it's, you know, hedonism is, it's pleasure. You're living, yeah. living for pleasure. So your primary pursuit is pleasure. Right. So sometimes you can pursue that to the extent that your boundaries and your ethics become, you know, obscured at least (laughs) so that you're not really perhaps doing what's in your best interest for the long term. You know, when pleasure supersedes, then you can sometimes do things that compromise your well-being. So if it's pleasing to eat 10 Big Macs a day, you're going to just do it because it feels good. Well, eventually it's not going to feel good, but you know, like right now it does. Um, and people do it with all sorts of things, you know, um, they do it with sex, you know, they do it with spending money, making money, um, you know, power control, all these mechanisms that humans like to acquire. Um, pleasure is at least somewhere in the mix, you know, and, Whenever that's taken to an extreme, um, yeah, you you can find yourself in a very uh, messy place, right? Because it's kind of prioritizing immediate pleasure over long term pleasure. Correct, and you're not delaying gratification. You're not right. allowing yourself to move through a process um, that maybe uh, you know a, a little bit more gradual, but better for the long term. Yeah, yeah, and so, but. I mean, it's understandable now looking back, you know, there's a part of you that wants to cringe because you're like, oh my God, like, you know, it was so sloppy at that point in time. But it's quite understandable when you go back and you're like, all right, let me put myself back in my old shoes and just see like, Mm -hmm. okay, I get why I was where I was at because I was kind of a mess. Like I was going through a lot, you know, it's understandable that I kind of fell off for a bit and got into that place. You know, I have to kind of be a little bit, understanding of my old self and, you know, be a little bit more forgiving of my past failures, you know? So you mentioned being with people when they died, like that was something you've done a a good bit. Like, so how is it, how are people when they die? Is it kind of the same for everybody? Are there differences? What are, did you learn anything through that? Um, I mean, as a physical process, it's there are a lot of similar themes. You know, you have the the labored breathing, you have the crackle, you know. Um, yeah. So whenever it's like a slow, gradual process, say somebody's on hospice, there are a lot of similar themes there. Um, there are psychological themes, you know, whether it's somebody who has dementia or not. Um, people see 
things that the naked eye can't see. They see children. They see loved ones. Hmm. Um, and that's where you start tapping into spiritual things. Like, hmm. okay, how much of this is what we would scientifically categorize as hallucination? Mm-hmm. How much of this is them tapping into a different dimension? You know? Yeah. Because you start to experience things that kind of go beyond, like, what you would say might be scientific phenomena, you know? Whenever be, people receive messages from a loved one that seem to be pretty on point, uh, mm-hmm. you know, they become aware of things they should not be aware of. Mm-hmm. Um, then you start looking into, um, you know, those deeper questions. But there are a lot of similar themes, but just like anything, people have, um, they have their own unique experiences. Um, you see people who sometimes aren't ready to go. Maybe they're a little bit younger. Hmm. terminally ill mm-hmm. and that is uh that's troubling hmm. and deeply troubling um maybe someone had a lot of regret and hasn't quite forgiven themselves that's troubling um whenever someone has a strong support system and they live the full life you see that peace you can feel it wow and that's yeah they have a strong connection with family with god whatever their belief system is you know um I've seen it be a peaceful, good experience in a number of scenarios, you know, with people who were Christian and people who, you know, were of various faiths um, having good experiences. So that, again, is another evidence to me of like the ability to tap into this spiritual thing, regardless of your background, you know, and that kind of has a universal tie-in. I think that's beautiful. And that was also part of what kind of opened my mind. I'm like, all these people are having like good, deep experiences, you know? Do I have the whole truth and nothing but the truth? Or is there something maybe that I can learn from these other people? You know, some people believed in reincarnation. Um, Some of them, you know, there's a belief that, you know, you got to let the spirit out so open the window for them after they die. Um, all sorts of different beliefs, mm-hmm. you know. What do you want your death to be like? Um, I want to try and make it to 100 years old, first off. So <laughs> okay. if I can make it to 100, that's something I kind of like always wanted to do. It's one of those weird things, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm in decent physical condition, probably the best shape of my life, honestly, at 42. We're talking mind, body, and soul. I'm in a really good place. Um, so hopefully I can kind of head there and who knows where I'll go from there. But as far as just an overall experience, I want to be able to have said that I made a great impact. So when you're talking about legacy, you know, when you talk about death, you're going to start looking at those types of things. Um, What kind of legacy did you leave? Well, in terms of the impact of my life, I want to, I want to be able to have said that I was a bridge builder, you know, Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall see God. Mm-hmm. I want to see God, you know, everywhere that I go. So I want to be a peacemaker, bridge builder, you know, um, help people come together instead of being such a divisive figure. I think that's important in life. So generally speaking, doing that, sharing ideas like what we're doing now. Um, of course, we see each other at the gym. So a person that helps people advocate for Health and wellness, you know, in a holistic sense too. Men- mental health is very important. Physical health. Um, 
So generally speaking, I want to do that with my life. Continue to be a minister. Um, family, you know, legacy is important there. I want to be able to have said that I had family that I love very much, that I gave them my all, that they love me and can look at me and say that, you know, someone that really poured everything into them, taught them well. So, um, so the main thing you want as far as like what you want your death to be like is to know that you've lived a well-lived life. Yeah, I want to leave, <laughs> leave that footprint there, but yeah, want it to be a peaceful scenario. Maybe I'm at the beach or in the mountains, you know, I, I've, seeing people pass in places and I, it, it's a beautiful thing that we're able to have facilities where people can be cared for and so forth. But I'm always thinking, man, I would take my loved one to the mountains or I would take them to the beach. Like, right. oh man, be somewhere where it's serene. And so right. that's something if I'm able to do and I want to be able to kind of, you know, have an advanced directive and make my wishes known and have that financial stability, have the wealth to be able to just do that. Yeah, go somewhere like Iceland and just take some deep breaths and just go. Right. So, so I think that's, you know, surrounded by loved ones, yeah. In a beautiful place, that that would be something I would want to do. Right. Yep. Um, at our old house. Um, so, yeah, like dying in a cold, sterile hospital room yeah. isn't very appealing. But like at our old house, I, you know, it's small. The bedroom we used, uh, me and my wife had like one of the side bedrooms because we had four girls and we gave them the big master bedroom. And our bed basically took up the whole bedroom, you know. And um, I thought, this can't be my like last home, my forever home, because there's no room for people to gather around me. <laughs> right. <laughs> like my deathbed. Are you thinking about that? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So. A noble thought. Honest thought. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, okay, so just wrapping up, um, you know, what are you currently, like, is there anything in particular currently that you're... Uh, uh, wrestling with what's interesting to you to think about and work through is there just you know any kind of particular theme going on right now in your life well i want to put a plug in right now so i'm glad you said that because i as a caveat i am on november 1st releasing my first episode of a youtube channel called into the nuance so i am really leaning into this whole bridge building, peacemaking, you know, effort to help us to see as a collective unit in humanity that people that believe differently from you aren't evil, essentially. Sometimes maybe they are. A lot of times, though, we assign malice and evil to people who are simply different. They just have different values. So I want to be able to express the nuance that exists among the spectrum of thought and behavior to an extent to help people see that, to illustrate the beauty that lies across the spectrum. You see it in politics, religion. People are so cruel to one another and we don't, we simply don't have to be. So that is something that I'm endeavoring to do as part of my passion. Um, wrestling this year has been a, a year of like personal growth 
So I'd never had a year where I've really focused on myself and kind of healing from past wounds and taking a lot of time out to really focus on personal growth to the extent that I have this year. You know, I had like my health and fitness journey, you know, got, got in really good shape. But like my mental health, I found, you know, was in a place where I was not the stable person I would like to be. And so it started deeply affecting my like, external climate. Eventually, whatever's in is going to come out, right? So my personal relationships began to suffer to a great degree. And this year, I've really taken that time back to be like, okay, let's look at myself. I've looked at all these other things. What I, what I believe about the world, you know, let's try and, you know, bring the world together. But I've never really taken that. And this is the scariest thing to do. Take that deep dive inside. What's going on inside? You know, are there things I need to heal from that are hindering my ability to move forward with life? You know, hmm. And yeah. I've really found, you know, things, default mechanisms, behaviors that just weren't benefiting myself and the people around me. And I never really loved myself the way that I need to. <laughs> and that's a, that's a hard thing to admit to yourself, you know, especially when you've been this minister and you've been this person that people admired, but you haven't really given yourself that love. You know, and it's going to show. People are going to see. Whenever you're, again, your, your closest relationships start to suffer, you can't continue to point the finger at other people. You have to look at yourself and be like, why? Why does this keep happening to me? You know, mm -hmm. why do I keep finding myself in these places with the people who matter the most to me? Mm -hmm. So that's what I've wrestled with. If there's been any kind of wrestling, that's been that. And I've, again, I haven't arrived, but I've gotten to this place where I feel good. Like for the first time in my life, I feel really good. You know, that doesn't mean there's no pain, but when the pain comes, I let it come and I cry and that's all right. You know, it's okay to cry. I don't get mad and yell and scream like I used to because I allow that anger to move through me in a healthy way when it does come. You know, I'm not tense and dealing with past traumas in a way that like caused me to be, you know, overstimulated and just enraged it's been a healing process so that's been the wrestling that's been you know what i've really been focusing on because you can't go out and try and do all this work on the world if you haven't done the inner work that's all of us and now the inner work is a lifetime enterprise so it's nothing that you're like oh i've done it i'm done with it it's, that's an everyday thing but i can honestly say i've gotten to this place where i'm comfortable in my skin like really comfortable. And I, I love that. It's a good thing. doesn't mean there's not going to be waves of discomfort, but I'm okay with those waves because they come and they go, you know, and that's all part of the human experience. Thanks, Gabe. I've enjoyed yep. the conversation. So I appreciate it. Yep. Mm -hmm.